You stupid bitch. Yeah, you're a stupid bitch. You stupid bitch. Yeah. Welcome to this week's episode of Stupid Bitches Say What, the Aussie podcast about everything and nothing, but always with wine. Yes, I'm drinking wine this evening. Nice. Not beer. And your host, your favourite host, Sean Hipkins and Skylake Hobbit. This week, it's back in time, and we are discussing some inspiring figures from history. Listen in as I discuss the story of Anne Frank, the young Jewish girl who was forced to go into hiding to evade Nazi persecution during World War II and penned the now world-famous Diary of Anne Frank, while Sky discusses one of the true Aussie icons, former Prime Minister, the Honourable Gough Whitlam, the political and social reform he inspired in Australia and the legacy that he left. Now, what, pray tell, are you drinking, you stupid bitch? Well, look, at the risk of getting super blind on this double episode, I've decided to go back to our roots and drink some white wine this evening. Woohoo! Um, Tyler purchased this first bottle. He purchased both bottles for me. And I said, just get something I haven't drunk before. He's like, babe. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> That's a needle in a haystack. <laughs> but look, the second one I'm going to drink this evening is one I have drunk before, but this little number is one I haven't drunk before. Ooh. So it's called Petaluma. It's oh. a lovely picture of a couple of little bunches of grapes. Bunches of grapes. Yeah. I was say bundles of grapes. <laughs> um, surprise, surprise. It's a Savvy B, Adelaide, Adelaide, Adelaide yeah. Hills. Well, it's 2022. So oh, wine in the wine womb. No, it's fresh out the wine womb. Um, it's but we haven't little... done a wine womb for a while, have we? I know. It's um, it says it's fresh and zesty with tropical fruits and racy acidity combined with exotic herbaceous aromas and sweet Oh, herbaceous! Fruit. Jesus, herbaceous. That's outrageous. It's a little bit sweet. Oh. Um, but you know. It's a Friday night. I've had a tough week. It's going to go fucking it's a hot down. day. Quite fun and dandy, I must say. Cool white wine. Give us a. Oh, it's a little bit sweet. That we should taste. Oh, oh no, hang on. I'll I'll taste on there, shall I? I had Thank a sneaky you. one. You <laughs> cheeky bitch. <laughs> I hold off. <laughs> mm. I normally hold off. Mm. It's getting a little bit tartar. It may have been that I had half a. a Aldi Gosleme before I had my first sip for dinner. So yes, yeah. Sometimes lemon. it does take the second sip to actually get the true flavour. Yes, look, this is going to go down a treat. Good, I'm glad for you. I'm not, I'm not worried at all. It's lovely. Um, and what pray tell are you drinking, Sean Bina Hipkins, please? Well, Sky Leak Hollett, I am also on the Savvy B bandwagon oh, tonight. I know it is just getting too hot. I do love my reds and I can still drink it in summer, but it's just getting a bit too hot to not appreciate the fine white wine. This one is a lay of the land. Oh, I haven't seen that one before. And it's a Savvy B destination Marlborough 2022. Marlborough. 2022. It's an angel funded oh, wine. Um, 7.4 standard drinks in one bottle. And the writing is too small and the lighting ain't good, so I can't see what the fuck it says. But let me have a sip. Please do. Yours looks colder than mine. I think mine's a little bit warmish. Oh, that's nice. You know when it sort of goes, and this is terrible, 
But when it sort of goes down like water. Mm, it looks icy too. Like the glass looks really cold. It is frosty. Cold enough. I need to yell out to my husband and say, hey, come put, this put a in glass the in the freezer. <laughs> Stupid beso. Well, that's a glass your husband got us for Christmas. Oh, yes, yes. I'm drinking my Parramatta Eels um, most valuable supporter. Oh. Sky. It it's not in Merry the bin. Christmas. No, it was my glass, so Tyler wouldn't oh. dare put it in there. <laughs> Not done. <laughs> but, yes, it's nice. Him. I totally recommend. And at 7.4 standard drinks, alcohol content is good. Well, well, well. There you go. Mm. So how has uh, your week been? Crazy busy, we understand, thus far. Yes, I feel like that's a running theme, isn't it? Um, yes, crazy busy. Uh, I want to talk about a couple of things. Uh, first of all, I want to discuss that we had a little crazy weekend away. I think we talked about on the podcast, we were going house hunting down south. Yes. um, We decided to make a weekend of it, um, which was awesome. And then randomly, some of our family. Because just to cut in, I um, I was actually really disappointed in myself that I didn't follow up and ask how this was last weekend, how it all went. So I'm glad you're bringing it up. Look, um, we looked at a couple of properties. Uh, One, both of them were actually pretty cool, but... Uh, one was a little bit smaller than we thought and it had, so, you know, most properties that we're looking at because they're a bit more regional have like, you know, sewerage on site or water tanks and stuff like that. That's part of the course. Um, this one, the first one that we looked at was, had no internet service for starters. It was fucked. Goodbye. Um, and how, how can you podcast in those conditions? I know. I, well, the, the realtor tried to explain to me that it was just an issue with our phones and we'd be fine, yada, yada. Nah. Like, people had no issues. Well, that um, shit. So maybe we could have troubleshot that shit, but, you know. Um, but it had a giant water tank. Like I'm talking probably three metres by three metres and upstanding quite high, big, massive plastic one, which I get like you need it, you know, when it gets dry and stuff like that. Um, and it was a dirt road to get to it. So a little bit more regional, um, lovely <laughs> you house, anticipated. lovely little bungalow, had a great little fire pit area out the front. It was really kooky and really cool and I liked it, um, but maybe a little bit small for what yeah. we're after and Fair for enough. the price range. And then the second house we looked at um, was on the water, on the river. Um, I did see a, a photo of that of one actually. Cliff. And it was lovely. It had a pool on site. It was a double block and a back block. It was fucking huge. The land, um, the house was really, it had these wonderful couch bench seats around a kitchen table in the kitchen and the kitchen yeah. was super modern. Um, but it was built in 1905, they thought, because they couldn't actually determine because it's a, such an old house. They couldn't yeah. actually determine its original build date. Um, and they had definitely renovated it, but as we, so remember the, the Lismore floods, so it's grass yep. in Lismore area. Um, so the floods, it came quite, even though the river's down a bit of a cliff, it came all the way up to the house Oh wow! Uh, and it was a once in a lifetime type flash flood. Do you know what I mean? Like you probably wouldn't see something like that for another hundred years or something like that anyway. Well, but, they say that, but look at what happened with the fucking Brisbane floods. Exactly. Yeah. So it's hard to tell. Um, and apparently the water never came into the house and it could be a completely different thing. But as we're walking on the, the floor, the floor was all sort of, you know, um, uneven and stuff like that. And at one point, Tyler thought he was going to fall through it. Uh, and oh, it would have, based on my uninformed, you know, inexperienced opinion, I would suspect that it probably needed a whole new piece of flooring in the whole house. Yeah. Um, well, if Tyler's getting nervous walking on it, 
Yes. That's no way to live. <laughs> no, 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 no. So, and I spoke to my brother-in-law and I was like, what do you think? And he wanted, he was really keen to go and have a look, but I don't know, it seemed like a lot of effort. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's not just down the road. No, and I don't know. To me, I think a flooring is a big piece of work. But other other than that, it ticked all our boxes. So that was a little bit disappointing. Um, but we ended up going to Yurunga, which was the place I was supposed to go for my 40th birthday. But then COVID happened and we had to cancel when there was about, you know, 40 yes, of us going yeah. to camp, going to stay in cabins and camp and stuff like that. Um, so that was really cool. And it's a really cool location. Um, but we did a number on ourselves because we hadn't seen Tyler's family, his cousins, for since the wedding um and they all ended up being there randomly like it was a complete coincidence that we booked in the same weekend and they were going yeah that's cool um and ended up partying until about 6 a.m in the morning and pretty much we we got we i said to tyler if we're gonna hang out with them we're hanging out with them on the first night we're not hanging out with them on the second night because we'll be ruined yeah and and you have to drive drive back so we hung out with them on the first night, completely ruined ourselves, <laughs> spent the second night watching the football grand final in bed in the little cabin that we're in. Well, that's um, nice and cosy though. Getting takeaway. We didn't go to the beach. <laughs> we didn't swim. <laughs> we didn't enjoy any of the scenery except for the pubs. Oh, my um, God. So, yeah, amazing weekend. It was a great, great, great weekend. Um, but, yeah, not exactly what we had planned. <laughs> Productive in the yeah. holiday season. <laughs> we'd be getting but, a tan having a yeah. bit of a swim in the sea do you know that what though like Vidi and I that's how we travel as well when we go overseas and we, we do especially if we're in Europe or somewhere like that and there's some great country you go and see some of the big stuff but most of our holidays revolve around what pubs we went to how shit face we got how we spent the next day hungover in the hotel room and do you know what fuck it <laughs> If that's what you like to I know. do, look, then that's it was what you want really to do. cool. We had a, it was so great to see his family. We had such an amazing time with him. Like we had, you know, just hours of conversation and catch ups and reminiscing about the wedding and just all that sort of stuff. When you see, you know what it's like. You know, when I lived on the Central Coast and when we would get together, it was just like you squeezed every drop of enjoyment out of that interaction yeah. because you knew you wouldn't see each other for who knows when next time. So yeah, you know, that's the thing about living apart from people that you, you care about. It, when you um, catch up, it's party time. Let's yes, connect. when you catch yeah. up, you absolutely well, make the most of it. Our our kind of people do that stuff. You know, there are people that go on hikes and shit like that, but, you know, that's not our jam. Look, <laughs> we hiked a lot through Yurunga that evening because <laughs> there's not much to do. So we pretty much just wandered back and forth from the pub to the park to the cabin <laughs> to the beach to the pub again oh, God. getting our little you know takeaways and get your steps um, up one of uh tyler's cousin's partners he brought a whole massive bag of um <laughs> of oysters <laughs> I was wondering where that was going, not going to lie. Um, of oysters. Um, so in the shells, you know, the ones that you have to use the knife to open. Yeah, I know yeah, you're you not a seafood person. Them. Yes, I'm a seafood person. And as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, my God, we're going to be best friends. And could <laughs> like, you shuck them? He shucked them for me. He was just like literally like cracking them open with his little knife and handing Is them to me. John Butler Trio? No, that's Tyler's actual cousin. This was a, this was one of his um, cousin's partners who okay. was doing this. So... Um, yes, yeah, so and I bet he was yeah proper handy with that type of shit. Yeah, he probably yeah. fixed the flooring in the house if he needed. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Um, so it was it was a really good night of laughs and you know 
funny stories and yeah. shenanigans. Um, so it was amazing. We had a really good time. Well, very good. Um, and the other thing I want to quickly talk about as well is that this week I sat down and finally been meaning to it for ages, taking a leaf out of your book. Hmm. Sat down properly and did our budget for Tyler oh, and me because, you know, good. as we're yep. saying, you know, we're saving for a house and saving for other things. And um, I decided it was time to really, really sit down and analyze our spending mm. habits. Mm. Um, the results are quite, quite shocking, shocking, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, our surplus income is quite significant considering Compared. how much we don't really have left over most weeks. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get that. And the outcome of that was basically that I said to Tyler, if we tweak just not change our lifestyle really in any way, just add a tiny bit of structure to how we spend our money, we could be saving like, you know, three to 4,000 a month. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Like it's crazy when you You actually look at the bills. (laughs) You know, I've got an Excel spreadsheet that's got formulas and all that shit. I'm happy to send you the template for it. I do have that as well. And I've always had that, particularly when I was younger and I was on my own. It was just me and Lincoln. You know, I had to, I had a mortgage on my own. And so I had to be very careful with my spending. Um, But we've gotten a bit lax lately, you know. And it was funny because I put down all our streaming services. Guess Mm. how much we pay a month on streaming? Oh, look, I wouldn't be surprised because we'd be the same. It was about $160, which to be fair, isn't a huge, I was actually like, do you know what? It's 160 bucks a month. That's not huge in comparison to some of the other shit we spend money on, but I'm talking, you know, Stan's $31 a month. We pay $31 a month for Stan. I swear to God, it's on my bill. I went through my bank statements. Um, Whereas Netflix, we get the cheaper version. Have you got like a, um, have you got like a lot of connections for it or something? $21 a month. Oh, um, stand sport, $15. Do you have that? No, we have KO. So we, we pay 30 bucks for K because it's got all the sports on it. Okay. Um, so we pay for that as well. So, you know, we're going to actually get rid of Stan. I decided that all the other ones we've got Prime, we've got Disney. Um, we use my sister's binge. We've got Netflix. Um, what else? There was a couple of others. But I decided Stan's the one that's got to go. And look, when something yeah. comes on Stan that I really want to watch, I'm sure I'll pay it Switch again. Switch it back but on, yeah. $31 a month for something that we haven't probably watched anything on in about a month or two. I think it's a lot. get rid of it and, um, you know, do some yeah. other things. But between, you know, Tyler's PlayStation subscription for his dumb uh, PlayStation course. and Link's yeah. Xbox subscription and then our yeah. $22 Spotify family plan yeah. so that we're all on the same one so it's slightly yeah. cheaper um it does really fucking it adds up. Up. <laughs> yeah i've just had a look at mine on my spreadsheet and ours is 161 dollars a month for our streaming foxtel and itunes music which well, is we a family plan tossing up getting um uh, foxtel and getting rid of ko because um you can get the better sporting pack with the foxtel um so we're sort of still tossing up but then we probably you know, the Foxtel deals are really good for a while, but they've gone back up in price again. Yeah. See, so. our Foxtel is really good. It's like 50 bucks a month. Um, and they increased our service all for free a few mm-hmm. months ago where we were able to ditch binge. But you don't pay for binge anyway, so it's no. not really. No. So we were able to ditch binge because, you know, it's kind of Foxtel's brother, basically. It's got a lot of the same shit, most of the same shit on there. Yeah. 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 But um, it was a very interesting exercise. And Tyler was like, I don't want to compromise my lifestyle. And I was like, seriously, we have like per week after savings and credit card payments and loans and all the stuff that we have to pay, we have like a $500 surplus per week yeah. at 
just, you know, goes. Just goes. And it's like, you know, I don't want to compromise my lifestyle. Everything's expensive, <laughs> but I'm like, you know, we buy like four packs, like Tyler buys his four packs of um, Woodstock. Yeah. And I buy a four pack of Smirnoff and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And that's 50 bucks just for, for yeah. eight cans. Like, yeah. No, see that just type of shit. Just buy a bottle of fucking vodka. <laughs> or buy a carton of them and just fucking exactly. keep some. Yeah. It's just about being a bit more savvy, isn't it? Yeah. Really? And just yeah. watching going, I can uh, tweak this, I can tweak that. I, can I refuse this. to buy a six pack of beer or anything. It's always a carton. Yeah. When I first met Tyler, he used to always be like, I'm just going to grab a six pack. I'm like, no, you will fucking buy a carton. Yeah. That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Like $25 <laughs> for a six pack these you days. Stupid, stupid boy. <laughs> <laughs> Get down there and get yourself a carton right now. <laughs> it's probably like, yes. <laughs> and I um, cancelled my Naked um, subscription a little while. Didn't cancel it, just paused it for a little while um, because we were getting the case and drinking it in a week. Yeah. <laughs> but it's much cheaper than paying 20 bucks or 40 bucks for two bottles of wine on a Friday night for podcasting. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. No, I've got to um, do another Naked subscription soon. My wine racks are getting a bit empty. <laughs> I bet they are used to. They are. Anyway, I digress. What? How's your week been, stupid bitch? My week's been good. It's also been fucking hectic. The last two mm. weeks actually have been really, really busy. Same. We've both been crazy flat yeah, out, haven't it's we? It's just been like where yeah, at the end of the day, you're frantically getting this done. Hang on, I've got to do this. Hang on, I've got to do that. Yeah. Um, and I've got my conference, the work conference next week down in Hobart, which would be great. So I lose another mm. week of stuff there and. But it's good, like, you know, I can thrive in that stuff when I know what I'm doing and I've got to get it done. I can really focus on it and get it done. It's when it's shit that I don't know what I'm doing or have no idea is when my inner alarm bells go off being like, Mm. I don't know what I'm doing. I need to leave. I need another job. This is shit. You know, and you talk yourself (laughs) off a ledge. It's actually okay. Just find out and then you'll be all right. (laughs) But um, so it has been busy. So I've got a couple of things I would also like to talk about. I'll save one of them for the last one, because it can be a group discussion. But now you know about this already, but I caught the bus to work the other day and Whippany and I were down the front. I went to sit on a seat. The guy didn't move his leg. You know, those rude people that do that shit. Mm. And Vinny had to ask the lady to move her bag. We were sitting separately. I saw a seat up the back of the bus. I'm like, let's just go up the back. So we walked up the back, sat down there. It's one of the banana bender buses, the 60 now, you know, the double length buses. Oh, it sort of like has the... The bendy bit in the middle. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So they're all the 60s now throughout West End. And we never sit up the back. So we sat up the back and then a guy, three seats in front of us on the other side, turned around about two minutes into the journey and said, I am the Holy Trinity. Good morning, everybody. (laughs) Hope you have a wonderful day. Make sure you pick up any litter that you drop and protect Mother Earth. I'm the Holy Trinity, blah, blah, blah. Then he turned around and said to himself out loud, but not looking at anyone, and one day I will conquer the world. And I was like, oh, my God. He's going to pull a gun. He's going to pull a knife. He's going to do something, come up with a plan. And so then in my head, I've got like, I've got my duffel bag on my lap and I'm like, okay, if he does anything like that, just charge at him with the (laughs) I always have an escape plan. Where's the panic room? Start! (laughs) Charge him with the duffel bag. So if it has a knife, it won't go through there (laughs) and all this shit. Um, And it's just, uh, if we're in the cinema and we're sat in the cinemas, like I'll always say, okay, what's a quick way out if someone oh comes crazy God. with a gun or See, that always have an escape I route. just would have been like all enthralled, been like, oh my God, 
<laughs> this fella. <laughs> well, it was like that, but it's just like, oh, you're making me uncomfortable, dude. You know, if you're the Holy Trinity, don't scream at my face. But um, do you, so that was my next question. Do you ever come up with plans when you're in those scenarios or anything? No, no, no. I never. Yeah. Um, I think when was, when I, no, do you know when I freaked out? When was that time that we were in the pub and that huge massive bucks party was in there and it all got loose and the SWAT team came? Was oh, that I one don't of the, think I was what, there. No, you were. That was one of the movie premieres. Do you remember we were at? Ah. Oh. You remember and they were all wearing the Hawaiian shirts and yes. they were super loose. Yes, there yes, was all yes, that yes, screaming yes. going on. That and was we before were standing hot. outside having a vape. We were and in, I said, um, I grabbed all the, the girls. I'm like, you need to get inside now. These people are too crazy. Like they're yeah. on their faces. Like this is going to end badly. But then they came upstairs to where we yes, were. Yeah. And they were grabbing the glasses. The guy was serving at the bar and they were smashing them. Not RGs. It was, um, what's the one? What is that? Well, it's at the top. Tea. Stock exchange. Oh, that's it. There's a T in there. The stock exchange. Yeah. So we're upstairs. Yeah. No, you're right. I remember that. And when they all when came up, they started getting served and were smashing the drinks on the ground and throwing them across the room at each other. And this was afternoon. This was like three or four o'clock in the yeah. afternoon. Yeah. And I was like, this is way too hectic for me at this time in the Arvo. Like, um, and when the police came, it was quite confronting. I was like, take them fucking away. And then they let them all go. Do you remember? They didn't even arrest them. They all got their IDs out, but they said, you've been warned. We've yeah. got cameras everywhere. There's CCTV everywhere. They were like, we'll, we'll just go to the IDs. next pub. And they're, and they're like, you're like, not getting in. Yeah, you won't get into any other pubs. You need to go home. But they didn't arrest any of them. And I was like, this is going to end badly. Like, these people are so annihilated. Yeah. Um, and I, I had and they were of, fucking feral looking yeah, as well, weren't they? I had a bit of fear that time. But normally I'm like, oh, drama. <laughs> <laughs> drama. Did you um come up with an escape plan, though? <laughs> or were you just like, oh, shit. No, I just was like backing away constantly, like trying to remove myself and get as far Put away. people in between Put you as and much them. Distance. But I kept going because I think Ebbs was with us and there was a few other people. I just kept grabbing them and going, no, don't go over there. Come over here. Yeah. Like stay away. And I grabbed them all from when they were vaping at the front. I was like, it's too hectic. Come inside. Come and sit on the opposite side of the pub. These guys are really scary. And get your phone out just in case. Because it all kicked off because one was choking one in the toilets and the toilets sort of backed onto the front end entrance when we first got there we'd only been there 20 minutes and like play choking or well, sex it, choking they were or... screaming at each other and yeah. we realized after that it was a bit of a muck around but oh, it didn't look like that at yeah. all like it looked insanely aggressive they are 100 um, percent the type of people i never want to hang out with or associate yeah. with yeah they're not my kind of people at all they were out <laughs> to beat people up i think yeah too aggressive, too much fucking um, testosterone for me. Mm, mm. And that's saying something. <laughs> <laughs> so the other thing I wanted to quickly talk about, and you can add into this, is Oktoberfest weekend oh, that we yeah. had last weekend for Vinny's, part of Vinny's birthday. Um, what a fucking amazingly fun slash messy day. <laughs> <laughs> it was so crazy. Yes, it was insanely messy, insanely crazy. Um, I can't believe we we got we stayed and as late as we did. Really. Yeah, I love I that you guys backdoored it just the two of you, even though there was a whole bunch of people there. I thought you would have <laughs> well, went we home. We backdoored it at like nine o'clock. Yeah, we were in the. I was I was video messaging you in the cab at about nine thirty. So yeah. the only reason I got stuck there was because I couldn't find my fucking vape. What happened to my fucking vape, Vino? Vin Vinny took it. 
Not me. <laughs> and do you know when I sent you that video blaming you? I was joking. I actually did not think that you or Vinny had pinched my vape at all. Well, I, I was hadn't. just being a bitch. <laughs> Vinny had. And then we pulled it out when you're doing it. I was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Because I could only imagine how gutting that would be. It's just like, that's my motherfucking vape, bitch. I well, need that now more than ever. I had a bit of a tanty too. And some of Vinny's friends were still there. And I remember one of them coming up to me and going, I'm sure it's somewhere, love. And I had a dead one that was in my bag that I brought that had gone dead while I was out. And I knew it was going to go dead. And that was my mm. freshie, Vinny stole mm. my freshie. And I was like, no, this isn't the one. She's like, here it is, here it is. And I'm like, no, that's not. She's like, give me a bag. Let me go through it. Maybe you just can't find it. And I was like, I've already gone through it. And she went through it. She's like, no, it's not in there. It's like, I know it's well, fucking duh, not in there. Bitch. I'll have to, um, I'll have to look because was it a cola lemon? Yes, cola lemon. I haven't seen it around. Cola lemon. Since uh, he probably smoked it and been No, he and- would not. He's only a mint smoker. He hates it. That's why it was even weirder that he ended up with it. I'll check and see if it's in our cupboard, but you'll get it back. I can't even remember how he got it from me. Like, I didn't even know. I would have noticed if I'd given him a, ta- a toke of it. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have no idea how he's I must have put it on it. the table and he's just grabbed it thinking it was his. That's I, that, what that's I the only explanation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, at least he didn't lose his mobile phone at this Oktoberfest. Mm. It was yes, just a vape. Anything could have happened. Anything really. could have. That's <laughs> it exactly was very, right. very messy by the end. We were there from 12.30 till 9, as I said. Vinny said he decided to call it a night when he saw Kylie pouring a drink into my mouth. And I was going, ah, <laughs> while she poured it down my mouth. And we were on the dance floor for a while too. Do you remember that? No. And then we now were I'm dancing. Now having slightly flashback. Yes, now I remember it. Yes, and we were totally dancing for ages. And then all of a sudden Tyler came up to talk to me on the dance floor and I talked to him. And then I turned around and we were in the middle of a song when he came up, a song that we were both really into. And then I was talking to Tyler for like 30 seconds and I gra- went to grab him to come dance with us and I turned around and you were gone. I was like, where the fuck did he go? And I was looking around and going, I can't even see the back of him. Like, he's just literally fucking. I was probably like, I can't stand here solo. I can't stand here solo. I need to go. We were still on the dance floor. He was literally like like a metre away from me and you were another metre away from me. And then I turned back and you were just going, I was like, what the fuck? Were we, che- were we like singing to the people on stage too? Like, yeah, yeah great we song. were, we yeah. were, because they oh, kept God. like pointing out to us because we were so enthusiastically dancing <laughs> and everyone else was trying to, you know, be like there's like lots of families still around and stuff With, like in that. In their dreidels or whatever. Yeah, we were dandles. just like spitting around and throwing <laughs> our arms up in the air and stomping and. Oh, God. Yeah, we Fun were messy. Times. messy I just time. got sweat through my feet. I guess I can now remember that. Anyhow, it was a fun, fun day, and I'm glad I've got a bit of a sober weekend coming up. Yes, us too. Except for tonight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So, should I get. No judgment, plus. Yes. Should I get served? I think it's me first this yes, week. Yes, it is you first. Please commence. All right. So. And Frank, and the reason why, because I know this is a bit of a tragic story, um, the reason why I picked it as an inspirational story is even yeah. through all the turmoil and all the shit that this poor, well, so many people went through at that time and all the people in the secret annex, she still was able to find solace, take comfort in writing in her diary, and her writing is amazing for a 13-year-old girl, I think she is. It's in my notes. It's very um, sad for me. Sorry about oh, the it's totally sad. It's t- totally sad. But you know, she was able to still 
persevere writing a journal and she ended up becoming a fucking world-renowned author basically through a diary so anyway and frank posthumously um humorously not humorously (laughs) posthumous hummus i know that's chickpeas (laughs) anyway Anne frank a jewish girl was born on the 12th of june 1929 in frankfurt germany and was second daughter of otto and edith frank in Frankfurt, the Franks lived a relatively normal life. Anne's father, Otto, ran a successful business and her mother, Edith, took care of the household, as they did back in those days. Anne had an older sister, Margot, and Anne was a lively and precocious child known for a spirited personality. The family moved to Amsterdam in 1933. Yeah, Amsterdam. To escape the persecution of... One of my favourite places. Yeah, mine too to escape the persecution of Jews in Germany due to the rise of the Nazi regime. This relocation to Amsterdam marked a fresh start in a new country for the family, but it did not take long for the shadow of Nazism Nazism, to follow them. So in July 1942, and World War II had started officially in 1939, as Nazi, Nazi persecution in the Netherlands intensified, Anne's family went into hiding. So Anne had just turned 13 at this point. It was just after her birthday in May. Baby. She was only a baby. And her birthday in June, sorry. So this is a month after her birthday. They were joined by another Jewish family, the Van Pels, and later a dentist named Fritz Pfeffer. They concealed themselves in a secret annex within Otto Frank's office building in Amsterdam. So there is another amazing person um, in this story. Her name is Meep Gies, M-I-E-P. So Meep, I'm guessing, Gies, Mm -hmm. guys, who helped the families with the hiding space, though she was not the only one, of course. But Otto called her when he was formulating his plans and informed her of the plans to go into hiding. He asked Meep if she would be willing to help him and his family if they had to go into hiding in the secret annex. She did not hesitate for one second. She's done all this other cool shit in her life too, this lady, Meep Gies. Um, It's definitely worth the read if you're interested in this stuff. After the arrest of the victims in hiding, she kept Anne's writings hidden in a drawer of her desk. So she found the diary. She kept it hidden. She died. And what year would you predict she may have died? Meep? Yeah. Uh, 90s. 2010. What? She was 100 years old and she died after complications from a fall. So she was still kicking Mm. until she fucking had a nasty fall. Otto Frank actually enlisted help from four of his employees who worked at the office and they would become known as the helpers. Meep Gies, Bep Vosk, and look, I'm going to fuck up these pronunciations. Bep Voskhujil, Johannes Kleeman, and Victor Krugel. The helpers brought the family food, clothing, and other supplies while they were in hiding. So I think I've touched on this in previous episodes, um, and I think we've discussed it, but I've been through the house twice. Mm. Once in 2006 as part of a Kentucky tour, and then again in 2019 with Vinny. And it's for what it is. It's an incredible experience, really. You, you enter the stairway behind what was a secret bookcase doorway, mm. like it's sort of left ajar. 
um, and then it's incredibly narrow as you walk through. There's not a huge heap of space, but you can see that the residents did their best to create a home for a sake of a better word, that would be somewhat comfortable for them. There are bedrooms, areas to walk through, kitchens, etc. But of course, it was locked up and hidden away and whatnot. So That's life in the... Lot. Well, they had windows, which, and there's something, I'll get to this in there. I found it quite interesting and I'd like to discuss with you. So life in the secret annex was characterized by confinement, silent, and a constant fear of discovery. Mm. The inhabitants had to remain quiet during the daytime hours to avoid suspicion and do most of their activity of a nighttime, which is a very fucking scary way to live. Like imagine mm. if during the daytime you did something where you dropped your shoe or knocked a pan or onto the floor. And you're then there for the next hour, hoping, wondering, are you going to get fucking done for it? It'd be fucking petrifying. So despite the circumstances, Anne found solace in her diary. The residents of the annex had to adapt to their new restricted life. Anne attended school lessons by correspondence. I don't know how that worked. She did. And found companionship with other residents. She shared her small bedroom with Fritz Pfeffer, the dentist, which I thought was a bit creepy, mm. and faced conflicts and tensions in the close quarters. To also try and create some normalcy with their day-to-day -day living, they had a standard daily routine that they would follow. So they would wake up at 6.45, and this is obviously all from Anne's diaries. They would wake up at 6.45 a.m. to the alarm of Mr. and Mrs. Van Pels, They'd put the kettle on and then they'd all take turns using the bathroom. So there was a a routine in who used mm. the bathroom first, followed by next, rah, rah. And I'm sure if someone was busting, they may have broken that routine, but pretty much it was a schedule. At 8.30 a.m., a risky half hour would start. The men in the warehouse started their working day while the office helpers had not yet arrived. So any noise from the people in hiding was dangerous as the warehouse was located below the hiding place and the warehouse staff were unaware of the people in hiding. So they didn't know people were hiding in there. They would come in and work. If they heard some weird noise and be like, what the fuck? Mm. At 9am, the helpers started working in the above, in the office above the warehouse. So the annex, I guess the living, the warehouse I'm guessing is right down the bottom. The people in hiding walked around in socks and still had to be quiet, but sounds from above now caused less suspicion because the warehouse would be hearing the people in the office above them. Mm -hmm. The rest of the morning was devoted to reading, studying, and preparing for their lunch break. So they're still just keeping life happening mm -hmm, and trying to mm -hmm. keep it as normal as possible by doing their studying and making sure the kids are still keeping their schooling up and shit mm -hmm. like that. It's just incredible. At 12.30 p.m., the warehouse workers went home for lunch and the helpers and the people in hiding had the place to themselves for a while. At 12.45 p.m., a few of the helpers, usually Johannes Kleeman, Victor Kugel and Bep Voskuschel, came up to the secret annex to have lunch with the um, people in hiding. In the beginning, Johan Voskuschel, who was Bep's father, often came up too, so he knew about it as well. Jan Gies, who's Meek's husband, frequently joined them as well, although he worked elsewhere. So he was, they were still giving them that human interaction and all this shit. Yeah, yeah. But how scary for them as well. Like, to, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because be if they caught. get caught, yeah, what a horrible time. Horrible fucking period. 
Meet Piggs usually stayed in the office to keep an eye on things. For the people in hiding, it was nice to see other people and to hear the latest news from the city. Mm. At 1pm, the radio was switched on for the BBC News and at 1.15pm, they'd have lunch and at 1.45pm, the helpers went back to work. So in the evening, the warehouse workers would go home around 5.30. Helper Bep, I'm not going to pronounce his last name anymore, or hers, usually came by to see if the people in hiding needed anything. Uh, after she had gone, he goes, she, after she had gone home at a quarter to six, the people in hiding were no longer restricted to the secret annex and that spread out through the building because there was no one else there. After dinner, they read, talked or listened to the radio. And at around 9pm, they started preparing for the night. Pieces of furniture had to be moved. So, for instance, in the room of Herman and August Van Pels, um, they'd have to move some of the furniture to make the beds fit i guess or you know so they'd have a bit more space and there wasn't fucking chairs in the walkways just like in the morning they took turns using the bathroom of a night every day when the sun went down the windows had to be blacked out and after that the secret annex went quiet the next morning the alarm went off again at 6 45 and they'd take the stuff off the windows to let the sun in so unless they mean the windows downstairs they blacked them out so they could walk around. Mm. I'm unsure. Anyway, except on Sundays. So a, a Sunday in the secret annex had a completely different rhythm to it. And it was characterized by scrubbing, sweeping and washing. As Anne wrote in her story, Sunday. The people in hiding were slow to get going. The first one to get up was Fritz Pfeffer at 8am. He was the first to go to the bathroom. Then the vamp fell Pell's family were next, and one of Anne's ordeals was watching Fritz Pfeffer pray for 15 minutes. Onwards. From 10.15 a.m. onwards, it was the Frank family's turn to use the bathroom. Breakfast didn't start until 11.30 on Sundays, and after three quarters of an hour, everyone went to work, scrubbing the carpets, doing the laundry, making the beds. Anne's diary became her sanctuary, a place to express her emotions, thoughts, and dreams. She wrote extensively about her experiences, the challenge of living in confinement, and her involving perspectives of the world outside. Anne's diary, which she named Kitty, Kitty, was a constant companion. Through her writing, Anne sought to understand herself and the world. Her diary entries documented not only the daily life in the annex, but also her innermost thoughts and aspirations. Her writings reveal the ordinary concerns of a teenage girl, such as her relationship with her family, her views on friendship, and her budding romantic interests. So apparently the Van Pels had a son, Peter. Well, it's not apparently, they did. Um, he was a 15-year-old boy who was also in hiding, and he becomes her boyfriend. Bless her. They also highlight her growing awareness of the horrors unfolding outside the annex. So when they would have gone into hiding, shit would have been starting Ooh. to really steam up. Then they've gone into hiding and shit's really hitting the fan outside and they'd be hearing about it. So the fear and all that fucking shit just being like, what the fuck is this actually real life? All because of their religion. So in August 1944, and after 761 days in the annex, the inhabitants received a terrifying visit. They were betrayed, and the Nazis stormed the hiding place, arresting say, everyone too many inside. Knew. Well, I get to 
um, the betrayer in a minute. But yeah, there was a lot of people that were coming up and just having lunch and all that shit. Um, but yeah, no, you're right. There was too many people knew about it. And who did they mention one night drunk or they whatever? They also used to, people were always trying to catch them out too, weren't they? Because mm. everyone knew that there was all these secrets and people, not them necessarily, but yeah. it was like, we'll give you money to give them up. Like, In favour. Always ways that you could influence a situation. So Having too many people know was just super dangerous. Yeah, yeah. I should have kept it at maybe the four and that's it or even just fucking two. Anyway. I blame Meep's dad. He didn't need to be in on it. Meep's dad did not. No, it wasn't Meep, was it? It was... Um, His dad was just Johan. there. It was Bep's dad. Oh, Bep. Oh, Meep and yeah. Bep. Sorry. I, was just, <laughs> I thought that was one and the same. So the Franks, the Van Pels, Fritz Pfeffer and two of the Dutch helpers were taken into custody. It was a devastating moment as they were separated from their sanctuary. It would have been horrendous, absolutely horrendous. There are a couple of people suspected of betraying the Franks and other hideaways, and there have been numerous investigations into this, including one that took place, I think, in 2016 by the people who own, run, facilitate the Anne Frank house. Mm. They did an investigation because they wanted to try and find out because there's no actual concrete evidence Mm. who Mm. betrayed them. However, in 2017, a former FBI officer announced that he would be looking for the possible trader of the people in hiding with the help of an international cold case team and new technology. On the 17th of January 2022, so just last year, the cold case team presented their findings. The team concludes that Anne Frank and the other seven people in hiding in hiding were very probably with 85% certainty, discovered because of the actions of the Jewish notary, Arnold Vanderberg, a member of the Jewish council, who they say may have handed over the addresses of people in hiding to the mm. Nazis in an mm. attempt to protect himself and his family. Yeah. So he would have given up more than just Anne Frank. There would have been a few. We, Anne Frank's obviously, and the other residents, super popular because of the writing she left behind. Yes, and the history that you can actually, you know, you can account for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's documented, you know. Mm. This conclusion has triggered worldwide controversy and stirred up some strong emotions. There's a ton of this information online again. So if you are interested, I'd definitely recommend looking into it. And there's other suspects too. So before they did this cold case investigation, there was another guy who they really um, thought was the one who betrayed them. But I'm not going to go into that. So the arrest marked the beginning of a harrowing journey through various detention centres and concentration camps. Anne and her sister Margot were first sent to Auschwitz, one of the most infamous concentration Mm. and extermination camps. That's in Poland, isn't it? Auschwitz. The conditions were horrendous and the brutality of the camp was overwhelming. Separated from their parents, the sisters clung to each other for support. So the number of Auschwitz victims includes... 960,000 Jews, 865,000 of whom were gassed on arrival. So as soon as they arrived, they were gassed. 74,000 non-Jewish Poles, 21,000 Romani, 15,000 Soviet prisoners of wars, and up to 15,000 others, probably the gays. Mm. 
Those not gassed were murdered via starvation, exhaustion, disease, individual executions, or beatings. Others were killed during medical experiments. It's fucking just what it's like a bad American horror story that goes on for years, isn't it? It's just absolutely no, it's terrible. It's the one thing, like, I have a massive love of history and I love <clears throat> researching historical topics, and it's it's always been really passionate of mine, but I can't deal with anything related to the Nazis, like, and it's just gosh, so barbaric, it's, isn't it's it? It's so bad for me that I just think it's, I can't even fathom how someone could be yeah. that evil. Yeah, like, I know. It's too bad. Like, and, and and the brutality that all those people went through. I, <clears throat> I don't like to watch movies. Anytime it's got something to do with that, I won't watch it. Um, so I just you've can't. never done Schindler's List? Can't do it. It's just, you know, there's some things that really it's just you find upsetting. Too, That's too, too upsetting for me. Yeah. Too true and too sad. Even when there's like a heartwarming ending or there's something positive yeah, yeah, yeah. about I still can't go through the brutality. That's why I would, I, like when we were in Germany and everyone wanted to go to see the concentration camps, I was like, no way in hell. I would, I would be bawling. I would be mm. literally in tears if I had to go through that. Like, see, I don't I know. My cousin went and he saw the part, and I don't know if this is the German concentration camps. I can't remember exactly which one it was, but the ones where they showed the experimental rooms. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Because it was one of them. The medical experiments. And I was yeah. like, oh my, there's no way. If I had to see that, I would, I, I think my soul wouldn't recover from that. I know yeah. it happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it happened, but you're not blocking it, it out. Yeah. You're just, just not I, I traumatizing yourself. I'm not interested in saying Because it was one of them that was obsessed with twins, one of the Nazi leaders oh. that was obsessed with twins and did a lot of medical experiments on them. <clears throat> and there wouldn't have been anesthesia. You know? Well, that's funny because my next question was, would you ever go to one? I would Never. I would totally go to one. I wouldn't do it in the middle of Oktoberfest which is a happy vibe place and all that stuff. I definitely wouldn't do it then. Mm. But I, I would go to one just to, and I've been to the Holocaust Museum in Berlin. Mm. And that's, um, it's eye-opening. It's very sad. It's very, it's hard to explain the feeling that comes over you. It's like sorrow, just complete sorrow. Mm. Anyway, later Anne and Margot were transferred to Bergen-Belsen in late 1944. The camp was overcrowded with inadequate food, sanitation, and medical care. How old were they? By the, how many years after they were, like went into hiding? So that was in late 1944. They went into hiding in July 42. So two years. She would have been 15 then. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, exactly. She was born in 29. And they were in the house for 761 days, was it? So that's what, over two years, just over two years? Yeah. Anyhow, the prisoners endured malnutrition, disease, and harsh weather conditions. This is a story that we heard when we were at Anne Frank's house. She had a best friend before the war called Hannah Gosler, and they went to the same kindergarten, primary school, and later to the Jewish Lyceum. Hannah didn't know that the Frank family were in hiding in the secret annex. She thought that Anne and her family had fled to Switzerland. The Goslers also ended up in the Bergen-Belsen concentration camp. Well, Hannah did. And she spoke to Anne there for the last time. So she saw her best friend in the concentration camp years after. 
So basically, and what I can gather from my research, and I know how sensitive this is. So if I get anything wrong, my sincere apologies, listeners. Don't hate on me. I did my best. Hannah was already at the camp when they brought in the new prisoners. They kind of halved the camp and put up a barbed wire barricade between the two and stuffed it with straw so they couldn't see through. Prisoners weren't allowed to communicate with the other camp. There was um, guard towers around with the Germans in there. If you tried to communicate, shot dead. But they would go at night time and try and get information from each other across the barricade because that's what it would all be at that point, isn't it? Like when you're in those situations, you don't know what the fuck's going on. Someone's new come in. What's happening? What's going on? Because you don't have any idea. Do, do, do. Where am I? But they would go at night time and try and get information from across the barricade. After about a month, an old lady goes up to Hannah and tells her that there are people from Netherlands over the barricade because the lady knew Hannah and knew she was from the Netherlands. And the lady had spoken to a woman called Mrs. Van Pels, who was in the attic, annex, who also told her that Anne was there, Anne's on the other side of the barricade. And she knew that Hannah knew Anne, this old lady. She also told Hannah to go to the fence at night time and try to talk to Anne. And I'm assuming from that, she's like trying to give the little girl a bit of hope or create something in her life, go talk to her, you know, get some interaction with somebody that you know and love and don't despair and hope's not lost. And it's at night time and they were all doing it. She goes and Mrs. Van Pels is at the barricade and she heard Hannah softly calling for Anne. Anne. And Mrs. Pell said, Van Pell says, hang on, I'll go get her. So I'll read what Hannah said. Anne came to the barbed wire. I couldn't see her because the barbed wire was stuffed with straw. The lamps weren't very good. I may have seen a glimpse of a shadow. It wasn't the same Anne that I had known. She was a broken girl. I probably was too, yet it was terrible. She began to cry right away and told me, I don't have any parents anymore. My mother is dead. That was true, but she couldn't have known it. Edith Frank died of exhaustion in Auschwitz in early January 1945. Anne thought that her father had been gassed too, but Mr. Frank still looked very young and healthy and the Germans didn't pay attention to the age of those they wanted to gas. They made their selection based on appearance. I always say that if Anne had known that the father was still alive, she would have had the strength to survive because she, she died right before the end. It was literally just a matter of days. Tragically, Anne Frank did not survive the Holocaust. She died in Bergen-Belsen in early 1945, just weeks before the camp's liberation. Her sister Margot also perished. Oh my God, I'm covered head to toe in goosebumps with this. Mm, After the war. Sick. It's awful. I know. And she died weeks before liberating, like literally weeks. After the war, Anne Frank's father, Otto Frank, the sole survivor from the annex, returned to Amsterdam. Meep Gies, the helper who helped him from the beginning and had provided the occupants in hiding, provided for them, gave him Anne's diary, which had been left behind in the annex. The diary's context was, content was a revelation to Otto Frank. It offered insight into Anne's inner world and the experiences of those in hiding. Touched by Anne's words and her desire to become a writer, Otto decided to fulfil her wish and have her diary published. 
Anne's Diary, with the assistance of Otto Frank, was published as The Diary of a Young Girl. It has since become one of the most widely read and translated books in the world, providing a poignant, poignant account of the Holocaust and inspiring countless individuals to strive for a world free of hatred and prejudice. I'm sad to say I've never read it, and I really wish we bought a copy when we were in Amsterdam, and I kind of feel like we did. I feel like it might be in the bookcase, but I'm not sure. Isn't that terrible? Have you ever read it? Oh, you can't. Emotional yeah. now. I'm quite upset about that. I'm I've teared up a little bit. <laughs> I can see it. Um, I think it will represent a specific view, though. That in unless you're really into like historical views and things of that time, like it's not like something you're gonna. It's not a book you're gonna pick up and have a happy experience. Do you know what I mean? Oh like, yeah. It's not a book that's it, gonna make you walk away and feel good. And I don't think it's a book that's like a documentary everything that went on in Nazi Germany. It's like her life in the mm. annex, what mm. was happening in the annex, what was happening outside that she knew of and yeah. that type of stuff. Yeah, I think it would be like an important thing for children, like, you know, teenagers yeah. to read. Like, I wish we read that instead of fucking Tessa the Durbervilles, for fuck's sake. Lots, lots of people do read it in school. Mm. I never did. I read it. No, we didn't get it. So I always loved reading books in English. Yeah. So like many other Jews, Anne did not survive the Holocaust, but her diary did, with over 30 million copies sold, and it's translated into 70 different languages. Mm. Anne Frank's diary is, rega is regarded by scholars as an incredible first-hand account of what life was like for a Jewish girl during German occupation. The it's Anne the only account, really, isn't it? Well, I mean, there's probably some other stories, but this is like... Real life, like yeah. what actually happened. The Anne Frank, yeah. The Anne Frank House, located at the site of the secret annex, has become a museum dedicated to preserving the memory of Anne and the Holocaust. That's cool and that they did that too. I'd, I'm, it's actually incredible that it survived. Mm. Do you know what I mean? They're able to keep it in its condition. They didn't tear it down. They didn't remove the annex, anything. Yeah. Anne Frank's life and her diary continue to be a reminder of the Holocaust's hor horrors the, and the enduring human spirit. That's why she's my inspiration. Her story encourages to promote tolerance, understanding, and the importance of bearing witness to history to ensure that such atrocities are never repeated. Through Anne's words, we see the resilience of a young girl who, in the midst of unimaginable suffering, held on to her hopes, dreams, and faith in the goodness of humanity. Her legacy lives on, inspiring generations to stand up against injustice and hatred. How relevant, considering what's happening tomorrow. I know. That it was, was deep. On. It was deep, isn't it? That was really sad. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah, I know. Okay, I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy because I, I wrote them, the notes, obviously, but even rereading them. When you're reading them out loud, I think it's fucked up. It really hits home how fucked up that shit is, mm. and there's still so much shit going on in the world. Obviously, we're not in World War Two yet, and we don't have things on that scale. But knowing, like, and I don't want to get political, but what's happening in fucking, you know, with Palestine and Israel at the moment, and all that shit that's going on, it's just like, chill out and have a motherfucking barbecue. Totally. Kick back, listen to a tune, drink a beer, and laugh with your mates. Totally, totally. 
Whoa, that was intense. Was, but do you get the inspiration? Any inspirational? Oh, without a doubt, it, it completely inspiring. You know, I mm. just, I just think it's just really fucking tragic. Sad. It's very tragic. And I hope that Hitler's fucking being in hell, like, and he's still, you know, yeah, being tortured to this day. And really yeah, agreed. Thousands and thousands agreed. of years, really badly. <laughs> Horrible, horrible, really man. awful. Getting yeah. his nuts shot off every day, yeah. like seriously, and you know, dying in his own blood, and then living it every day. Having experiments, performed yeah, yeah, on totally. Him. Actually, that's better. That's better. Having yeah. the experiments performed on, and then waking up the next day, and then reliving it again. Fucked up. Yeah. Whew. Well, I'm glad we didn't finish that. I'm glad you went first. I was going to say, I'm also glad I went first because your one's a bit more empowering and um, uplifting than oh, that wow. one. That was really, that was hard to hear. Um, okay. All right. Well, I'm going to do Goff, my man Goff. The main man? Yes. Who I also think is actually really spunky. Yeah. Yeah. I can sort of I see I find it really attractive. My mum love it's her, her idol is Goff. I love him. I him. actually proper, proper love him. And, you know, through over, over the years, I've always like read stories about him and I never, I just always walk away just feeling like what a fucking dude. Yeah. Like seriously. The back and then too. I, I'm going to have to get a little bit political because to talk about the reform that he made, I'm going to have to go through some of the adjustments that he made That's to okay. be able to push through that. So it is a, it will get a little bit boring at times, I think, but uh, um, I probably I should have just summarised the main things, but I feel like it's really relevant to go through what he actually did. Yeah. Um, but Look, this time- is your story on someone who inspired you, so it's yeah. okay for you to be um, political about it. So every time I read anything about Gough Whitlam, I'm always felt feeling, I'm always left feeling really inspired. I think he's a bit of a political legend, to be honest. And considering the referendum this Saturday, I'm pretty comfortable in my opinion that yeah. he would 100% be. But yes, yes. He yeah. would have brought this on years ago if he could have. Yeah. Um, anyway, we won't digress on that. Well, I'll just say quickly, my heart is already hurting for Me too. what Me tomorrow's going to. Me too. Bring. Me too. It's not. It's not a vote that I'm going to feeling happy about the outcome at all. Yeah. Um. Anyways, the Honourable Goth Whitlam. Goth was his middle name. Oh. Um. Edward was his first actual address. Oh, I wonder was... why he switched that up. I don't know. Actually. Goth probably had a bit more fucking you know debonair about it. Yeah. A bit, a bit more. To it. Yeah. A bit more punch in Edward. the goth. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love because yeah. you don't really hear about any goths these days, no. do you? <laughs> I haven't heard of a single one since um, or before. So he was born in July of 1916 and was the 21st Prime Minister of Australia. Actually, I'm going to bring my notes down here because I'm looking up there. Aren't 1916. I know. So he was born before the Anne Frank. Same year as you. I <laughs> fucking. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta be quicker, Bino. You gotta be quicker. I was referring to Anne. So got, I've still got a few little tears in my eyes. I gotta wipe them away. Um, so hang on, I'm gonna. I have to bring you back up because you've gone. Where are you? I've brought this little tab down, but now I can't see you. Hang on, right here. Uh, it's self view. <laughs> the same year as you, girl. <laughs> <laughs> 
um, and was the 21st Prime Minister of Australia, serving from 1972 to 1975. And I want you to remember that. And I'm going to repeat that throughout this story. Um, but such a very, very, very small couple of years yeah. for the things that he changed Eighties. that we are still living right fucking now. Do you talk about, um, and it's okay if you don't, but do you talk about the time, It's Time campaign? No, I don't. I so, don't you know, do it. The It's Time campaign is yes. all about golf getting in. And my mum said I she was that. pushing Stuart around in his buggy, who was born in 1972, with It's Time banners hanging off it and shit like that. I yeah. love it. What a boss. You showed me the videos. You showed yeah. me the video of the It's Time. I love it. Um, so uh, he was the first, he was the 21st Prime Minister of Australia serving from 1972 to 75 and held office as a leader of the Australian Labor Party, of which he was the longest serving. He was notable for being the head of a reformist and socially progressive administration. I love that description of him. Like, Mm. I I wish that we could say that about our leaders right now. I know. He was a reformist of a socially progressive administration. Like, it's just those words together just mean so much. Yeah. There's Um, so much weight in there. And the only other one that I can think of that has been as uh, memorable or as impactful is Bob Hawke. Yes. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Um, It can also skull be on telly. Uh, A yard yard glass. A yard glass. Um, It extraordinarily ended with his removal as Prime Minister Mm -hmm. after controversially being dismissed by the Governor-General of Australia, Mm -hmm. John Kerr, what a fuckwit, at the climax of the 1975 Australian constitutional crisis. Um, The budget, basically. Uh, Whitlam is the only Australian Prime Minister to have ever been removed from office against his will. And, look, we know of lots who didn't want to go, but they ultimately their party stepped in and there was a behind doors, you know. But not from the Governor-General. Exactly. Which is really the only power that, that, well, one of the main powers that the Crown still has over Australia is that the Governor-General can do that. John Kerr's a big fat jerk as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, me too. Uh, A little golf trivia. Despite being born in Melbourne, he spent most of his early years in Canberra, our nation's capital, plus, and until 2008, he was the one, the only um, prime minister who had spent as much time, like, had, you know, really lived most of his life in Canberra. He was dubbed the young Brolga. When he entered Parliament, for his height, he was 194 centimetres tall. He was massive, right? Tall man. Um, an imperious bearing. Now, what is a brogger? I hear you ask. The brogger The brogger is an Australian bird yeah. considered to be a native to the crane family of bird plus. Mm. It is a tall, upright bird with a small head, long beak, slender <laughs> neck, long legs, mostly grey, with an orange band on its head. It's featured on the Queensland. I was going to say, sounds like you until you said long legs. (laughs) (laughs) You fucking bitch. Um, It's featured. I didn't have a long sentence. What's that? (laughs) Pardon me. Um, Coming through. I've seen your beak pick up a wine from fucking two meters away. (laughs) So hot in here, this room. My glasses are steaming up. Um, it's featured on the Queensland coat of arms and it's apparently yeah. the formal bird emblem of the state. Yeah. Mr. Whit- Mr. Whitlam, in my opinion, looks nothing like a brolga. No. Uh, 
He was in active service in the World War II as an RAAF navigator, despite suffering badly from air sickness. He's mm. the only prime minister dismissed from office. Yeah. Um, so Gough Whitlam became Australia's 21st Prime Minister on 5th of December 1972. His Labor government, the first after more than two decades, set out to change Australia through a wide-ranging reform program. Yeah. Whitlam's term abruptly ended with his government when his government was dismissed by the Governor-General on the 11th of November 1975. Mm. The public lives of Gough Whitlam and his wife Margaret extend over half a century. After serving in the Air Force, he joined the Australian Labor Party in 1945. He became the member for Wirrawa in Sydney South in 1952, retaining the seat in 11 more federal elections over the next 25 years. Um, he led reform of the Labor Party platform during the long years in opposition. As Prime Minister, he immediately set about implementing a reform program that including, included strengthening Australian status by making Queen Elizabeth II Queen of Australia. His government drew on international agreements to develop programs on human rights, the environment and conservation. Margaret Whitlam played an important role as a political and prime ministerial wife, an outspoken public speaker, broadcaster and columnist. She accompanied Gough Whitlam on his countless overseas travels. I feel like they were the ultimate power couple who yeah. just had the exact same values um, who just inspired so much change. She was a qualified social worker, uh, particularly interested in social conditions. Um, so I feel like together they were just like, let's just make Australia better, guys. Let's just come together and we're both going to do it together. Like she's like out there doing her social work. He's like in politics, like influencing real change. Mm, <laughs> and together yeah. they were just like killing it, right? Yeah. Their public lives continued after they left the lodge. Mrs. Whitlam died in March 2012. Um, Mr. Whitlam was a barrister. The couple had four children together and he died two years later after his wife on October, in October in 2014. Um, so yada, yada, yada. There was a whole lot of political stuff that happened when he first went into politics, right? But the key thing I think that kicked off the social reform that he started was in 1972, December 1972, uh, Gough Whitlam and Deputy Prime Minister Lance Bernard responded to the failure of the Northern Territory Gove land rights case in 1971 by setting in train a royal commission into Aboriginal land rights under Justice Woodward. Oh God, I'm getting goosebumps again. So there was a there was a legal case that failed in the court in 1972 where basically Indigenous people were trying, and this is me ad-libbing, so please don't hate me, listeners, if I'm getting it wrong, where they had, you know, campaigned to try to get land rights, um, but he decided to set up a royal commission <laughs> to investigate Indigenous people's land rights. Yeah. Um, the findings of the royal commission would lead to the drafting. This is 1972. 1972. Mm. Mm. I know. Would lead to the drafting of the Aboriginal land rights in Northern Territory, ter Territory Act 1976 <laughs> and the establishment of an elected National Aboriginal Consultative Committee. In 1972, the government also established, established the <laughs> Department of Aboriginal Affairs in response to the 1967 referendum constitutional change that gave the Australian government responsibility to make laws for Aboriginal people. And they January passed 19... the back end, did they? Hey? And it won. 
the referendum yes. yeah the referendum won um but they drafted a consultative committee to you know combat that in some ways in probably very small ways but still they recognized that they'd lost the fight and they decided to do something about it yeah in January 1973, Australia reopened its embassy in Peking, res- resuming diplomatic relations with the People's Republic of China after 24 years. Goff and Margaret Whitlam set out on a visit to Indonesia in September 1973 and travelled through Southeast Asia. On the 31st of October, Whitlam became the first Prime Minister to visit the, Republic's re- Repu- the People's Republic of China. As well as setting up new government departments in 1973, the Whitlam government amalgamated the various defence departments into a single agency. You're going to love this one. There's so many you're going to love. On the 25th of July, 1973, the Australian Legal Aid Office was established with offices in each state capital (laughs) to give people legal advice that they needed. There was an actual office set up with all offices and and capitals. Um, I love this one too. Legislation was passed in August 1973 to establish the National Film and Television School in Sydney. Cool. In November, the Prime Minister... That fucking progressive. Oh, mate, it gets better. In November, the Prime Minister unveiled a plaque launching the construction of a national gallery in Canberra. The government purchased blue poles by US artist Jackson Pollock for the gallery at a cost of $1.3 This was the highest price ever paid for a modern painting. Um, I'm going to skip that. In December 1973, the government established the the Australian Development Assistant Agency to manage overseas aid programs and the Schools Commission to implement a needs-based program of financial aid to government schools. Wow. The government also passed a bill lowering the voting age to 18. From 21, I'd imagine, yeah. Yeah. So he's, this is his first year. Now we're going to go on to his second year. Fucking boss. I know. Um, so the reform program, this is what they were calling his progressive strategy, was the reform program for regional development produce, resu- result, produce results through direct <laughs> grants to local government bodies around Australia. Grant programs included flood mitigation, urban renewal, ren- renewal god the next episode's gonna be fun (laughs) leisure and tourist facilities and building sewerage systems in unserviced urban areas under the department of urban and regional development um the albury wodonga development corporation was established in 1974 it was intended to be a model for similar schemes elsewhere could you imagine what the government would have been like for the two decades prior to this. Was it two decades? Yeah. Two decades prior to this. Before Labor came in, yeah. Before this reform started happening, how shit it would have been for a lot of people. And he just got in and went, you know what, fuck it. Labor's in. I'm going to fuck some shit up, mate. I'm going to just change everything I can and make it better for Australia. Like I like Labor now. rely on this. Like all the stuff that he changed. A lot exists still. And we do rely on, exactly. Um, But that's, and that's, and like I still admire Labor, but this is when Labor was literally for the people. This was when it kicked ass. Yeah. Um, There's more, there's way more. 
So regional funding programs provided direct funding for community health centres and regional-based hospitals. And you've got to think, like, how many people we have in regional areas. Yes, everyone's always like, we're all along the coast. But it's not just about the people who live on the coast who have a little bit more of a disposable income. It's about the regional parts of Australia that need our support. The rural and remote areas. That's where I, that's what I work in is with the whole shortage of rural doctors and, yeah. By specifying the purpose of financial grants to the states, the government financed a national highway system and a standard gauge railway line linking Perth, Adelaide, Sydney and Alice Springs. Brisbane City railway, railway system was extended and electrified. Oh, yeah. Um, so the opposition majority in the Senate was a major obstacle to the government bill. So sorry, people, I know it's getting a little bit dreary with the whole political stuff, but there's a reason I have to talk about the There's a lot of it, yeah. The Senate's rejection of six bills provided the trigger for a double dissolution election mm-hmm. in May 1974 when 18-year-olds voted for the first time. Labor was returned with 49.3% of the vote and a reduced majority in the House of Representatives. Although its Senate vote increased by 5%, the government was still without a majority in the House. On the 5th of August, the the Northern Territory and the Australian Capital Territory were each granted two Senate seats. Um, I really don't want to go on to... Okay, I'm going to have to. After national polling on 8th of April 1974, Advance Australia Fair replaced God Save the Queen as Australia's national anthem. In June, the government appointed a national advisory committee for the United Nations proposed International Women's Year in 1975. Margaret Whitlam chaired the committee. Um, Two royal commissions were announced in August 1974, one into human relationships and another into intelligence and security. The Trade Practices Commission was established on the 1st of October and the Australian Law Reform Commission was formally established on the 1st of January 1975. Wow. He's just like, we're cleaning this bitch up. Yeah, (laughs) we're making changes and he fucking made it. Could you imagine the stress, the pressure, the influence trying to change shit? Oh, trying boss, to change mate. his mind, trying to hinder what he was doing, put barricades up, and he just powered through. And then they still got rid of him. Yeah. Well, um, the Governor-General did. The Australian National Parks and Wildlife Service was established in 1974 Jesus. as part of the Department of Environment and Conservation. And there is no way that shit would be going anywhere today. <laughs> That's like when people say, you know, oh, you're woke and the whole woke thing that's happening now. All these people back then were woke AF and look at the shit they've done and look at the things we still I dare anyone with. to do as many things as this bloke started yeah. in fucking politics. Seriously. Go on, do it, yeah. But for the good. <laughs> After Cyclone Tracy destroyed most of Darwin on Christmas Eve 1974, Whitler yeah. returned from a trip to Europe and inspected the devastation. Um, and then voiced to the public his sympathies and stuff. So he was overseas and he went, fuck this, I'm coming back. People are in trouble. I'm going to go check it out and help them if I can. So his final year as Prime Minister. The Whitlam government continued its rapid pace of change. An Order of Australia replacing the British Honours System was announced on Australia Day 26th of January 1975. In March, the Australian Film Commission and the Australia Council were established. And in April, a Consumer Affairs Commission commenced operation. 
in July, the Australian Heritage Commission was established. <laughs> in May, when a technical and further education commission was set up, the Whitlam government was able to introduce reforms at every tier of education, including a national employment and training scheme and the abolition, uh, sorry, and the abolish, abolish, <laughs> abolition, 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 and the Abolition of university tuition fees. I'm yes, I, say, I was wondering if you were going to mention that, yeah, okay, where people I'll, went I'll to university. In May, when a technical and further education commission was set up, the Whitlam government was able to introduce reforms at every tier of education, including a national employment and training scheme, and he got rid of university tuition fees. Yeah, I know that there's a whole heap of people that went through uni that didn't have to pay. Yeah. How fucking amazing. Like you're giving people opportunities that can't afford it and you're allowing great minds to fucking further education and do better for our country. But because he set that standard, that's how HEX came about. And they still have to, I know that's it's different from paying it for free, but we've still got affordable education. Yeah. You can go to any uni in this country and you can yeah. add it to your motherfucking tax bill yeah, yeah, yeah. for as long as you want. Yeah. And you only pay it back. When you start earning a certain amount. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like great. It's, it's not like free education in some parts of the words, but it's it's a it's a it's excellent compromise. It's access, yeah. In June, the Family Law Act 1975 was enacted, creating the first no-fault divorce procedure in the world wow. and providing for a national family court. In June, the Racial Discrimination Act. So what do they mean by no fault? That you can just have a divorce because we're no longer in love. It's not because it's not he because cheated on me. It's I not, beat yes. on him. Yeah. Which is different from other parts in the world as well because you can actually literally divorce someone and say, I don't want to be married to you anymore. And it's cool. We go yeah. our separate ways. We're incompatible. And it's not like you're a terrible person. You have to get your church involved. You have to pay ridiculous fees. It's like, yeah. See ya. We don't be married anymore. We're, everyone's young. Everyone makes silly decisions sometimes. Oh, totally. Um, where was I? Oh, yeah. You're... And in June, the Racial Discrimination Act 1975 also became law. Fantastic. Ratifying a United Nations convention that, although signed by Australia, had remained unratified for nine years. Wow. At the United Nations, Australia gave support to non-racial voting at the General Assembly, changing Australia's voting on a South, South Africa. Australia also banned... South Africa? Yeah, I'll, I'll go on a bit. Australia also banned South Africa supporting teams while the country remained under an apartheid regime. Oh, uh, apartheid, yeah. Um, he continued to travel overseas and build it, like international relations. relations. Um, oh, this is my favourite. Okay, one of the most sweeping of the Whitlam gov government's domestic reforms during 1975 would, was the establishment of Medibank. I was wondering, oh, my God, is Medibank or Medicare? Medibank. It was Medibank, yeah. yeah. I'm thinking, what's, is, what's the one now that's Medi? It's Medicare now, but it's yeah, Medibank. Yeah, but what's the, what was so the Medibank bank? What's the private the one health one? Medibank, it got brought out, but Medibank was Medicare. It's just the name Originally, right, yes, yeah. Um, enabled free by public, the Health, free health. Insurance, insurance Act 1975, which was passed at 1974, joint sitting of Parliament. The National Take note, Health America. Care Scheme 
began operating on the 1st of July, 1975 and incorporated many recommendations. Um, comprehensive changes were also made in social welfare areas, a supporting mother's benefit and a welfare payment for homeless people were introduced. God almighty. What a fucking legend. Mate, it just keeps going and going and going, does it? It's just like yeah, he like, was there for like three years. <laughs> yeah. And usually um, by standards, prime ministers will maybe do two of these things if they're lucky. Like that have that much effect on a positive way on the world, mm. on the country. Sorry. This one's going to be interesting to you. So he also introduced in July 1975 two new communications agencies, Telecom and Australia yeah. Post. And then <laughs> what happened, they both got privatised, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. but Replace, years after. Replacing one of the first departments established at Federation, the Postmaster General's Department. So they were both government-owned entities that became privatised. Yeah. Well, look at Sequeb and all that shit too. Okay, Memichex. Um, Another three major inquiries were appointed in 1975, a Royal Commission on Norfolk Island, an environmental inquiry into Fraser Island, and the Ranger Uranium Environmental Inquiry. So it was, it was all about the environment too, even back then. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Um, on 16th of August, 1975, the Prime Minister formally handed, and I, I'm sorry about the pronunciation, the Gurunji people at Wadi Creek in the Northern Territory title deeds to part of their traditional lands. Mm-hmm. This, was the culm- this was the culmination of a decade of struggle silence since the Gurunji first walked off Wave Hill Station to claim their traditional lands yeah. at Dugaragu. Yeah. A month later, Papua New Guinea celebrated independence from Australian administration. So there was a whole lot of rivalry. rivalry. So Papua New Guinea was under Australian leg- um, administration. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I knew that. Um, so rivalry among ministers, including Whitlam and his Attorney General, Lionel Murphy, so a different dude that kicked him out, um, exacerbated, ex- exasperated the government's difficulties. So the crisis came in the loans affair, Yada, yada, yada. There's a whole bullshit, bullshit, bullshit thing. But basically um, the opposition was holding up the budget um, based on trying to hold votes back because they had the majority in the Senate. Um, again, apologies if I'm trying to add this a little bit because I don't want to read through it all because it's really, really quite lengthy. Um, so it was held up in court. Oh, sorry, it was held up in, in Parliament. Um, the plan ended up being abandoned. Um, and secret negotiations continued. Um, Whitlam sacked both of his ministers because they weren't really doing the right thing. Um, and then the loans affair enabled the new Leave Liberal Party leader, Malcolm Fraser, to justify refusing Fraser. to vote on the budget. Malcolm yeah. Fraser, what did I say? Fraser. <laughs> Malcolm Fraser. To justify refusing to vote on the budget bills in the Senate. The aim was to force the government to an election while its electoral fortunes were in decline. Wow. Uh, so, again, on and on, politics, 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 a little bit of in-house bickering. Um, Queensland Labor Senator Bert Milner died in June 1975 and the government was replaced by Joe Bjorka-Peterson. Mm. Um, so that impacted things That's another well. fucking era of shit for Queensland. Yeah. So the dismissal, um, Whitlam decided against calling another double dissolution, uh, even though he sacked a couple of his people to try to, you know, get the budget to go through. 
Um, and from October 1975 to November 1975, the parliament was in its worst political deadlock on the budget. And we know, when did that happen for us not that long ago? How many years ago were they locked in the budget? Oh, God. When was that? It was a couple of years ago, wasn't it, where no one could because we had the, uh, wasn't it when, what's her name was in, the, the lady? Julia Gillard. Yes, because it was, a, there was only like one point on each side. Remember how gridlocked mm. it was? Yeah. Because it was so even, there was because we had to the labor had to rely on the independents to exactly, join them. And, exactly, yeah. and I, I correct me if I'm wrong. I could be wrong about this, but do you remember when it was gridlocked the budget for ages? Uh, kind of, not really. Yeah, so this is the same thing, but quite different in the financial climate of of '75 compared yeah. to the financial climate of now. Yeah. Um, so it kept going on and then the governor general, the newer governor general, Sir John Kerr broke the deadlock in an unprecedented move. When Whitlam visit Kerr to call for a half Senate election, the governor general withdrew his commission as prime minister and replaced him with Malcolm Fraser as caretaker prime minister until an election could be held. So basically he went to him and said, Hey, let's try to figure it out. Let's see what we can do. And he said, nah, you're out you're out, I'm taking it off you, I'm going to give it to the Liberal Party. Yeah. Um, the Senate passed the budget on the same day. Huh. <laughs> so it went through anyway, which is what he was trying to do. Mm. Um, and on the 12th of November, opposition with the minority of the House of Representatives replaced the government. Um, the dismissal sparked fierce public debate. Whitlam contended that the 1975 budget had been stalled, not rejected, and as some Liberal senators later confirmed, they would soon have the vote in the Senate anyway. Um, he argued that the crisis was political, not constitutional, that it could have been resolved by political means, and if not for Sir John Kerr's action, it would have been resolved in his government's favour. Um, but it, that was it. It was the end. End of an He's era. Out. Yeah. What an era. And he never got back. He never came back. He just left it then. He was like, fuck it. Well, he achieved so much though, didn't oh, he? My God. He probably was like, okay, I've got everything I needed to get through done. Yeah. But thank he God he didn't drag known, his toes. He couldn't have known then that all that stuff that he put into play would have caused the legacy that it had now. He would have just been sitting there going, look, this is right, this is right, I think this is going to be good for people. But he wouldn't know that we'd still abide by most yeah. of that stuff now. Yeah. Like he changed the landscape of everything that we do as Australians. Yeah, agreed. Like Medicare, you know uni, yeah. um, you know, legal aid. Indigenous rights. Indigenous yeah. rights. Even like, though they're still fucking... Up for debate. Yeah. So do you know what he said when... um as part of his farewell speech at the end he said I um, don't I don't God save the queen because nothing will save the governor general <laughs> that's amazing is that not a... I can see by the look on his face he's not like a vindictive oh, person a... yeah 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 but he's not vanilla either he's no. not going to fucking be pushed I love around him. I absolutely love him I think he's amazing I and do you remember that you know um we lived in that time. How oh yeah, totally, totally. My mum's era in politics and the things that she fought for and the and the environment and the atmosphere that was around is the type of shit we totally would have thrived in. Yeah, totally. Um, do you know that song by Paul Kelly? From little things, big things grow. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that is about the whole um, 
situation where he was in, you were talking about it in 1975 about the land title where they had the strike off and all that. So there's a picture and I've got it and I'll use it in our promos of where he's pouring, he's got a handful of soil and he's pouring the soil into the hand yes! of traditional landowner Vincent Lingari. Yes, yes, yes. And that's about them claiming the land. So this is a line from the song of from, from Little Things, Big Things Grow, which is based on what Goff did. Yeah. That was the story of Vincent Lingari, but this is the story of something something much more, how power and privilege cannot move a people who know where they stand and stand mm. in the law. Mm. Amazing. And do you remember when he presented the um, Album of the Year Award to the Whitlams? Uh, at yes, the Arias? I forgot about that. He came on to present and everyone knew straight away as soon as he was on there that the Whitlams had won mm. because why else would they have Goff mm. Whitlam presenting mm. this award? God, what a legendary experience. Totally. I would have loved to have met him in real life. I would have been just like, dude, dude. And you know dude. how, yeah, you know how my mum's met him. She's got photos with him. You know that whole, um, when you said about the dismissal, mm. there's actually a mini series called The Dismissal, which is based on that, which breaks my mother's heart every time she watches it. What? How old is it? 1983. 1983. Do we know any of the people in there? Do you know? Oh, Bill Hunter. Oh, I love Bill Hunter. He's yeah, in he's in it. Ruth Cracknell. Mother and son. Oh, yeah, I love Ruth. She's dead now, isn't she? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was old back then. Peter Carroll. Tim Elliott, who's mm. got no shirt on in this picture, which is bizarre. American mixed martial arts. Martial art, martial I would love artists. to see them do, like, a recent version, like... You know. Oh yeah, totally. And actually really fucking nail all the shit he did. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Because it would be so like, you know, it's almost like um the crown stuff with what's his name? Oh yeah, Who's totally. The, like um what's the guy that I love as well? And he's the um third rock from the sun guy that played John him. Lithgow. John Lithgow. Um who's the politician? Oh, oh my god. Um I love oh my him. god. We will stop them on the yes. beaches. What's his name? Well, yeah. Oh my god, I can't believe I cannot remember this because oh, Goff Whitlam's stuck in my head. Oh no, me too. Winston it's, Churchill. Winston Churchill. I I also love him. Yeah, love him. yeah. He was I think also he's amazing. Boss. Thought also it was really boss. cool. That's what they need to do. They need to do a Goff Whitlam special. That's that level of the Crown with yes. um, Winston yeah, Churchill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. love Winston Churchill in the Crown. He's the best. Agreed. Well, that was definitely a much um, higher buzz to end on i try i tried to skip a lot so i'm sorry listeners if i got very political it was just it was hard for me to represent his change in an accurate way without talking about the political well you had to you know changes because we're not getting um, political we're just talking political because i am not the most educated political person in terms of what happens in the senate versus the fucking yeah House of Representatives. Well, I mean, it's all very confusing. (laughs) Well, thanks for listening. We hope you got all the inspirational feels from this episode. Even though they got pretty rough sometimes, we ended on a high note. Thank you, Sky. (laughs) Don't kill me for any inaccuracies. Oh, dittos. (laughs) Tune in next week for What's the Haps, the episode where we discuss the events from the last four weeks that piqued our interest plus... Make sure to follow us on our socials at Stupid V Say What, including YouTube, where you can see the follies of our shows firsthand. And remember, if you're whining, you're winning.
Guess what? I'm winning. Good night, super bitches. Cheers. Good night. Cheers, super bitches. Fuck, I need to piss. Yes. Yeah, that stupid bitch. Mm -hmm. He's a stupid bitch. What a stupid bitch. That stupid bitch.